You're not the boss of me now, and you're not so big. Welcome to Life is Unfair, the Malcolm in the Middle podcast, where we are covering every episode of Malcolm in the Middle, one by one, in chronological order. Today, we are covering High School Play, uh, which was directed by Jeff Bellman, written by Maggie Bander and Bonnie Landrum. Hi, I'm Jake, and this podcast isn't an... Uh, fuck. I fucked up my... I fucked up my intro after stealing it from you, David. I was, I was yes! panicked because of you. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> I love it. That's amazing. Ha. Hi. I'm David, and it's not a stunt. It's an act of defiance. Uh, see, I was gonna say, it's not a podcast. It's an act of defiance. Yeah, see, and I had the plan, because as soon as I knew that you had stolen it from me, I was gonna say, no, that's a stunt. This is an act of defiance, because I'm defying your tyrannical Silence! Rule. Seize him! I'm Jake. Why are there so many Lego people? Before we can get into this week's episode, we need to look back at last week's episode, which was therapy. Starting with our, uh, our poll results from Twitter for shittiest and least shitty kid, which... For shittiest kid, we split between Malcolm and Reese. You choosing Malcolm for uh, faking his uh, mental health issues. Yeah, because it's awful. You shouldn't do that. Yes. Which I agreed on. I just chose Reese because on top of doing that, he did his other usual shitty Reese things. But the internet unanimously agreed with you. Malcolm got 100% of the vote for shittiest kid. It's good. The internet's smart. Yeah, it's fair. Yeah. He, he knows what he's doing. It's a real <laughs> shitty thing to do. Then we were also split but fairly agreeable on the least shitty kid with me choosing Dewey for uh, learning the lesson of not blindly following Hal uh, and you choosing Francis for at least initially resisting the bribes he was being offered and trying to like run the uh, laundry well for his fellow cadets. Correct. He had pride in a job. That's important. And the internet uh, was also split between those two, but Dewey ended up winning out. It ended up being 60% going to Dewey and 40% going to Francis. The internet's stupid. No, <laughs> what this is is clearly you voted to sway the votes. You committed voter fraud. First of all, I don't vote in these because that would mean logging into my personal account, which I haven't done in forever. Uh-huh. Second of all, I feel like voting for yourself isn't a voter fraud. It is. I mean, obviously, I do demand make... a recount, but... Right. God. It... Too soon? Too soon. Okay. That's saying it anyway. That's good. I mean, we are in the middle of that process, so I feel like now's the perfect time to mock it. I guess. No, the, the SNL approach. Yeah. Uh, before we move on from the community segment, we do have an email as well about therapy. Oh. Grace sent in, and I'm going to just read her full initial email. Uh, she says, hey guys, just listen to your therapy episode, and I wanted to share a thought. I've watched the series many times, an embarrassingly large number, then a, a reason I think I'll get plenty of enjoyment from the new segment, uh, which is the Quiz David segment. Yeah. Uh, this episode is the first sentence of a recurring plot feature, Genius. Of course, the show is based on Malcolm being a math science genius, but in this episode, Francis and Dewey have a little specific subgenius. Dewey is a Skittles prodigy and Francis is a laundry genius. 
yeah, this is a little debatable, but there are stronger examples for each main character throughout the show. They're all geniuses at something, probably many things. Sometimes they're broad and sometimes they're hyper-specific. Sometimes they're a recurring plot point. Sometimes they are never mentioned again. But I think it's a fun little bit that they use a lot and it's interesting to track. Also, I just wanted to say as someone who has lived in a third world country, the comment about sitting side saddle on the toilet was hilarious to me. I have been there. Oh, I have been there. <laughs> She also added in an other email, bringing up that Hal also often uh, fits into this trope of genius of like really minor things. Uh, roller skating king. That, that is one That's of them she minor, points out. It's not a minor thing. It's huge. Okay, it's uh, huge. Let me rephrase. Things uh, that almost never are relevant again. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, then she also points to the BattleBots episode as an example of that for Hal. That's a good one. Yeah. That's a complicated thing to do. Look yeah. at what he did. Oh, yeah. He made a B cannon. Who else has made a B cannon that you know? That's fair. I, I think Hal probably has the most... Like, small, never-coming-up-again little geniuses, like, like she mentioned. I hope that I remember to keep this in mind moving forward when we watch, but what I will say is I think part of that comes from any sort of genuine storytelling that's trying to capture and encapsulate a large group of people they're they're not trying to while overarchingly the wilkerson's are you know this very specific trope and, and family they're trying to make them relatable and tell different stories throughout the show and whenever you start to incorporate different people different tropes different things in you're going to have those genius moments because the fact of the matter is we all have skills we all have something that we excel at and in order to make something like that funny you take that to the next level right you know it's like you, one of the people listening may be a Pogs champion and just fucking great at the game Pogs. It hasn't been relevant since the fucking 90s. But if you put that into a TV show and just take it to the umpteenth level, that's now hilarious and very specific and great. And I, I just, I think that that's when you're really exploring people, I think that's gonna happen. Yeah, yeah. I think it's... Uh... A good way to explore sort of challenging the sort of the standard idea of what a genius is, uh, which is Malcolm, like right. to the T. Uh, I think they use the other characters in really interesting ways, especially a, l a little bit later on. We'll actually start getting into it more later this season with one of the characters, uh, but sort of the different ways genius manifests. Yeah, and I, I do, like, I, I had thought about this in relation to some of the other characters, but the, the thing that Grace pointed out that I hadn't really considered is sort of the Hal and Francis approach of being just, like, exceptionally good at, like, a handful of just, like, random-ass things. So, and I like that for Francis, and that's definitely interesting. So here's my take so far. Now, again, I've only watched up to the episodes we've covered, so I'm only yeah, two seasons I'm in. I'm trying to avoid spoilers. I me. appreciate that. But everything that I've seen so far from Hal of his, like, moments of genius are so much that vision we have of our dads as kids, I think. And I think they do a really good job of capturing that. And maybe I'm... I have a... a 
insulated view of this. My dad wasn't around as much when I was younger because of his job, not anything deadbeat or anything. But so I didn't have as much time around him. So I didn't know the things that he was good at. So when all of a sudden he would start, like, I'd want to work on something or something would happen and he'd like, all of a sudden I can rewire that thing. It was like this magical skill that you'd never seen them do and it just magically produced and it's this like dad ability of I can do that. Yeah. I can do that. I can do that. And like just these one-off skills that I don't know. I very much so relate to Hal and this sort of like it's just a dad thing to be able to be mediocre at a shitload of stuff. And when the situation arises, I can handle that. Now, you might cuss and yell and go behind the woodshed and, you know, scream uh, when you accidentally electrocute yourself. But by God, you approach it with confidence and ability and it eventually gets done. Uh, Fair enough, I suppose. Uh, Unless you have anything else to add, uh, let's move on to this week's episode. All right. This is a fun episode. Yeah. God, I love this episode. Like I told you, uh... Off mic after the last episode, like the the rest of season two, pretty much is is just a bunch of great episodes. Like almost every episode from here until the end of the season is great. Yeah, yeah. This has been this this has been a really good one. Like this show is good. There's been some rough ones in season two, but uh, this is. This is like the crown jewel so far. I'm curious to see if I still hold it as that once we finish the season. Okay. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of the better ones. It's definitely not my favorite of the season. It is my favorite of the season so far. And that's fair. We'll see. We'll see if we get there. But uh, yeah, we'll we'll get into it more later. <laughs> uh, so starting with the cold open, Hal comes home from work. Uh, he comes in and pretty much right away, uh, Lois tells him that, that they have the house to themselves tonight and starts asking if he wants to go out to dinner and starts trying to make plans. Uh, and Hal asks where the boys are. Then he sort of walks off screen out of the room while the camera stays with Lois while she explains where, where all of the boys are. The recent hockey practice, Malcolm's at Stevie's house, and Dewey's at one of the neighbor's houses. I like the specificity there. Yeah. We're going to go right past that. Are we? Are we? Yeah, we are. <laughs> so I feel act- like every time I fuck <laughs> saying something up, you make a, a dumb quip about it. Yeah, that's because you're you. Yeah, we're not even through the, the, the fucking cold open and we're already sidetracked, David. Way to go. This is called getting it out of the way early. We didn't make it through intros without sidetracked. You're not wrong. Yeah, you're fucking welcome, all right? (laughs) Look, listen here, boys and girls. You're gonna learn about the episode. Just hang on, let Jake get whatever this is out of his system, and then we'll be fine. How's this my fault? Don't worry about it. Back to the cold open. Uh, As Lois like wrapping up, explaining where all of the boys is, Hal walks back into the room, now completely naked, uh, as she's asking what he's in the mood for, uh, in reference to her initial food question. (laughs) Then she sort of looks back at where Hal is like sprawled out, uh, Burt Reynolds style (laughs) behind her, and she says, That has to be a record time. (laughs) I like the fact that you referred to it as Burt Reynolds style. Yeah, that's the, that that pose that he's in. It's made famous by the uh, Burt Reynolds photo shoot with him on, on like the bearskin rug. Don't doubt me. I didn't say a word, Jake. Yeah, but you're making a face. I'm sure that's really good content for our audio listeners. Really? It's obvious you don't listen to our episodes, David. Because you constantly make references to my facial expressions during these. I know. 
That's why I wanted to do that, but I couldn't. I couldn't keep a straight face. God, what is with today? I swear we didn't do drugs before this podcast. Okay, I think this is what happens when we record during the day instead of at night. When I'm not exhausted yeah. beyond all belief and yeah. worked all day. Yeah, this is what happens when I have energy. Ooh, shiny. Uh, yeah. Well, on to the structure of the episode. I have this one divided into four separate plot lines. Four. Yes. I have the A plot, which is centered around Malcolm. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then the L plot, and the H plot, and the F plot. Uh, I have the L plot, centered around Lois. Uh-huh. I have the B plot, centered around Hal and Dewey. Yeah, but it's an and H plot. It, no, 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 no. Yeah. No. Oh, we'll talk about that later. Oh, keep we, going. we definitely will, but it it is not an L plot. Oh, no, it is. We'll is. We'll keep talking. But there is also an F plot. Yeah. And so, as always, we will begin there. Of course. It starts in the common area of Marlin Academy uh, with all of the cadets just sort of hanging out. Francis eating some guacamole. Uh, then Spangler comes in. Of course, everyone stands at attention. Spangler is sort of examining the room as he's walking through and sort of monologuing as he does. <laughs> But Spengler begins criticizing the cadets for uh, treating the common area like their home. I mean, but they should make themselves at home. <laughs> yes, that's, that's what he says as he first enters. And one of the cadets standing next to Francis goes to like sit down and relax. And Francis like grabs his arm and pulls him back up. <laughs> <laughs> Good guy Francis here, man. Yeah, but he's complaining because it's uh, filthy, and there's video games and girly magazines, and a poster of Garth Vader. Garth Vader. I have never so much in my life identified with Commandant Spangler as I have in this moment. <laughs> Fair. But he informs the cadets that things are going to change. He is going to start having weekly inspections. Anything that isn't standard issue... Is going to be removed. Uh, which, of course, Francis is immediately talking with his cadets about how unfair this is, uh, which will escalate through the episode. And the next time we come back, we see the cadets uh, cleaning the floor with toothbrushes, uh, and Spangler walks behind them uh, with a couple other cadets. One is carrying a box of confiscated goods, uh, which Spangler is adding a picture of a cadet's sister to, explaining that to him it may be a picture of his sister, but to the other cadets it's a distraction. <laughs> Then saying he'll go into more detail if he needs to. <laughs> <laughs> the line's hilarious. Super creepy, but also so real. Then Bangler takes out a ruler and starts measuring that cadet's sideburns. <laughs> then the camera pans over to Francis and Joe, who is the cadet he's been hanging out with this episode. And Francis is uh, really going into how un unfair this is now, because Spangler's even taking pictures. Even prisoners are allowed to have pictures. It's true. And uh, he, he thinks that Spangler is trying to take anything that reminds them that they're human. And he uh, says that he's going to have to take a stand, which we then see his stand consists of a single... Uh, flower. <laughs> it looks like a daisy, if yeah, I'm not Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Uh, sitting on the table in his room. And you see him preening it. Yes, he takes very good care of it. Yes, it's very, very well done. Then the other cadets come and confront Francis. They want him to get rid of the flower. 
Uh, it's not worth the hassle it's going to cause with Spangler, which is where Francis gives his speech that uh, the contested <laughs> intro line comes from. <laughs> In which he explains that this flower isn't just a flower, it's a symbol of their opposition to Spangler. Uh, It's their symbol of defiance and uh, a way of showing that Spangler hasn't broken them down and broken their spirit. So he is going to be the only man in the Academy and keep the flower. Then... For the final scene of the F-plot, we see Spangler inspecting Francis's room with all the other cadets there standing at attention. Uh, he comes in and immediately starts praising how everything is how it should be. No personal items of any kind and everyone standing with rigid backs and he's really impressed with how they've shaped up and he knows that some of them might consider that him a sadist but someday they'll thank him and as he's saying that he like very casually reaches over with his uh prosthetic hook arm and snips the plant in half <laughs> then he just walks out of the room I love Spangler. It, it, it's it's great because this scene they make it look almost like like it almost looks accidental at first. Like, but it's it's very like as you kind of take in the scene, it it's very clearly deliberate. Oh yeah, but I I love it. it. He doesn't bat an eye. He doesn't even acknowledge Francis's defiance of him. He just sort of lets it go and then you know cuts it in half and then grounds it into the ground. <laughs> yeah, which does fit pretty nicely with like francis's presenting of spangler as being like this overarching like complete dictator and is very 1984 in his destruction of the flower (laughs) (laughs) so sort of the i don't need to crush you i just need to break your spirit and it doesn't even take that much effort for me to do You just have to take their hope. But after Spangler leaves, uh, the cadet from earlier whose uh, picture of his sister was confiscated is very apologetic, says, that was brutal. Is there anything we can do, Francis? And Francis looks at him and says, do you have any more pictures of your sister? Uh, yeah. <laughs> See, that, that to me was much better than, like, previous. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, Francis is a literally sequestered symbol of teenage angst which they also make reference to in this episode we'll talk about that later but (laughs) he is he's gonna be a little pervy he's gonna be a little sexist because unfortunately that's just kind of gonna happen until you can learn to evolve past just your hormones as a human male uh it sucks but we all go through it for at least a couple years this is a better way, I think, to represent that than just making him an absolute sleazeball and making it okay. Yeah. yeah this is kind of just that funny little quip. It's, yeah, there's still some sexism there and some objectification, and that's not good, but it isn't really putting it in a setting where it's necessarily okay, and it's not the whole focus of Francis's plotline right. for once. Which is nice. Yeah. Okay, so I say we move from there to the L plot, as Lois has her own kind of separate plotline going. Mostly. I mean, it interacts with the H plot a little bit, but it's... Yeah. Uh, We'll we'll cover in the A plot, but there is sort of a wrap-up of both the L and B plots. There's no B plot. Uh, at the end of the A plot. So, Lois's individual plotline... 
starts with her at the grocery store, uh, with it having been established previously that she sort of rearranged her schedule so that Malcolm can do a certain thing. But as such, she's finished her grocery shopping, and the cashier at, the, at this grocery store is played by fucking Octavia Spencer. who, Which is amazing. Yeah, I looked it up, and this is like three years before she had like her big breakout, but she'd already been doing like uh, stuff like this for a couple years. Like just one-off stuff in mostly like TV shows. Right. Uh, then she had a big break, I guess, in a play is where she got like her big start. Huh. I didn't know she got her start in in a play. I figured it would have been, you know, some of the movies that she was in, I guess, after that, but... Yeah. Well, she's always been weird to me because, like, I knew who she was before I ever, like, saw her in stuff. <laughs> like, I think the first time I, like, learned her name was in 30 Rock where she was playing herself. But, like, I'd never <laughs> seen her in, like, anything big. I'd only seen her in small stuff like this. That makes sense. I love her every role that I've ever seen her in because even when it's just these simple one-offs she is a very powerful presence like I don't know she's just she's one of those people who like you see her and you want to pay attention to her yeah uh, well her, her big ones right in who maybe isn't familiar are the help and hidden figures or like her two big movies I have never seen the help I forgot she was in that it's pretty good. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, I don't know, it's one of those, uh, yeah, it's got some great stuff. It's a very mixed bag of, like, good messaging and, I think, unintentional bad. Ah. But it's very funny. Interesting. I, I would never have imagined someone describe the movie The Help as funny. Uh, fair, because I don't think that's, like, the main thrust of the movie, but for me, like, going in expecting a very self-serious movie, I was surprised by how funny it was in addition to all of that. I mean, I guess if you have Octavia Spencer, it's the, some parts of it are gonna be funny. Yeah, yeah, she, she she's a great comedic actress. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. She also apparently makes a great shit pie. But Lois is double-checking with her on the time, and initially looks like Lois is, like, late for something and panicking. She, like, looks down at her watch and and then, like, immediately has the cashier verify what time she has on her watch. Uh, And and then she gets a sort of confused look on her face and realizes she has 25 minutes of free time. God. I can only imagine. Like... The busier my life gets, the more I sympathize with that so much. So lately, that has been my feeling every freaking week. Like, whenever I find a few spare minutes, I start to panic at first. Like, what did I forget to do? And it's increasing leading up to, well, I guess, things that are in the past by the time this comes out. But, uh... The, the more spare time I have, the more freaked I get. Fair. But realizing that she has this free time, she wanders off and is just sort of wandering aimlessly through the grocery store. Ah, yes. As all suburban middle-class moms are gonna do. Well, she, she doesn't know what to do with this free time, David. She's not used to having any. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's just, like, growing up with my mom. She was very much so Lois E with time management and that she never had time to do anything but like i don't know it's hard for me to envision that type of mom having 25 minutes and wasting it just like wandering no listlessly because i just i don't know i i I couldn't see my mom ever doing that so it was hard for me to see lois doing that i get it and it's really funny and i think they did it in a great way but as far as, like, the, the relatability of this show, which has been, if you've been watching, or, like, watching, Jesus. If you've been listening to this at all, you know 
that this show relates a lot to Jake and I's experiences growing up. And uh, I, I see a lot of my mom in Lois at times, and it's just hard for me to see her just aimlessly wandering. Yeah, see, it's easy for me because not as like a fun thing, but my mom is constantly aimlessly wandering. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Dude, I hate going to a store with her because it takes so long. Like, she'll make a list uh-huh. and then she'll be like, okay, I'll go over here and grab this thing. Then I'll go to the other side of the store and grab this thing. And then I'll wander around for a while and then, oh, I have to go get this thing. Ugh, it's the worst. <laughs> See, no, like, my wife hates going to the grocery store with me because I'm like my mom. Like, you make a list, you figure out, okay, like, this is the grocery stuff, this is the stuff that's non-grocery items, and then you go through the grocery aisle, which, you know, you know where everything is on that side, so you do it in order, and then you go to the other items, and then you get the fuck out. And that still will take three hours, because you know fucking everybody in the store, and they're all gonna stop and talk to you. That's shopping with me and my mom. Because we can't go to Walmart without running into at least 30 people. See, I I, I can do both. What what bothers me is when you go with, like, a specific thing. Like, like she's the worst about it when we go to, like, a hardware store when I'm helping her with, like, <laughs> some kind of project. <laughs> That's what it infuriates me. When we know exactly the things we need, we have a list of things, and we have, like, a time limit. That's when it drives me crazy. I don't mind, like, if I'm not doing anything, just, like, wandering around the store. Oh, I hate That's it. That's fine. But that uh, that needs to be the mindset going in. <laughs> I hate uselessly wandering around stores. Like, I hate shopping. I hate stores. I very much so. Do I need anything from this store? Not that I can think of right now, and it's not written down, so we're not going in that fucking place. That's that's my mentality. Oh, I, well, I hate Well, David, Ugh. you obviously weren't a loser in a small Nebraska town during college where the only thing to do is to wander around Walmart at midnight. Uh, no, but I was in a tiny Missouri town where that's also the same thing. Still didn't do it. I would rather lay at home bored than aimlessly wander around people that I don't know and don't like. Oh, you go with a group of friends. Oh. Well, it's also why you do it at, like, midnight, because generally it's only you and, uh, drunk college students. You had friends in college? Yeah. Oh, I was working too much for that. But Lois ends her wandering, uh, when she finds Mr. Lee, uh, who is a masseuse. Yeah, he's offering massages to customers in this grocery store for some reason. <laughs> yeah, it was a little <laughs> weird. I'm not, it wasn't even clear if, like... He worked for the store, and it was just, like, a, like, bonus thing? Or if, like, Lois was paying for these massages. Yeah, it's it's a little weird. Although, Octavia Spencer does tell you that he doesn't work there anymore, so... Right. Maybe he was an employee there. Yeah, which is weird. weird. <laughs> yeah, super weird. <laughs> like, if this was a mall, that would make sense. Right. A grocery store? <laughs> I don't know. But I guess, I don't know. I've seen, like, weird stuff like that in, like, bigger cities. Not not exactly like that. But, like, okay, so you know all the, like, kiosks and stuff that are in the middle of the mall uh, here with the super pushy salesmen? Yes. All the time? Yeah. I've been to malls, yes. <laughs> okay, fair. <laughs> Those have been in every mall I've been to. Uh, I've actually been to some, like, larger, like, Walmart or Costco stores in other states where they actually have those, like, 
off to the side in, in a part of the store where it's kind of almost got like a mini like low rent mall feel to it. So you've got like the, the wannabe arcade that really isn't anything and then the nail salon that's like built in and in the recess corner and then you've got like three of those kiosks. That's kind of what it reminded me of. Yeah. Uh, and so maybe, I don't know, if anyone listening to this lives in like a bigger town and has ever seen this where they have just these random mall stuff and like... <laughs> grocery stores let us know if you've ever gotten a professional massage in a grocery store please let us know oh absolutely <laughs> i want to hear that story i just i don't want to take my limited experience and be like no it's never like this yeah yeah it just came off as weird to me it's super weird i'm, I'm glad we're agreed on that <laughs> but lois agrees to let mr lee give her a massage uh, but she warns him that she's never been hypnotized, and she's never been relaxed. I can believe that. <laughs> and she sits in the chair, and he starts massaging her. Lois, like, slowly starts uh, getting into it, uh, starts saying, you know, th this actually feels pretty good. Uh, then that very quickly devolves into her just openly weeping. <laughs> yeah. She hasn't ever felt relaxed, Jake. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, good for her. She deserves it. I mean, she did just have a spa day with Dewey, like, but a couple But she wasn't relaxed. Ago. I don't know. She seemed pretty relaxed. Mm, nope, she clearly wasn't. Nah. Nope. I, 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 I think she's over-exaggerating very slightly. How dare you? Think she, I, I, I think she very rarely relaxes. She seemed pretty relaxed. And the spa day with Dewey. You're right. Unless we just remove that whole episode from canon. No, no, that's a good episode. We're keeping that episode. It is pretty good. But the couple afterwards were not great. Yeah. It just could be collateral damage. No, David. Okay. The next time we see Lois, uh, she is uh, once again at home, and she's much more sort of relaxed. Uh, very clearly, Hal is trying to apologize for something, and she just doesn't care. Uh, and she says uh, she's going off to the grocery store again. Or actually, no. I'm skipping ahead. That's yeah. the last time. Yeah. Yeah. The, the second time we see her back at the grocery store already uh, going to see Mr. Lee. Uh, and he is explaining wh why the massage feels so good. Well, because she asked him. Yes. How, how is he so good at this? And he says, release points. And he goes through these different release points i don't remember what order they're in it is i do and he goes this one releases your mind and he massages a spot and she like gets this doofy look on her face and then he says this one releases body or or something like that something to that effect i can't remember exactly how he phrases it but basically implies that she's gonna physically relax now yeah and then the third one you know what this one releases <laughs> and he massages it and then it cuts to uh, her and Hal laying in bed, uh, clearly naked and covered by the covers. And Hal's just, wow. Then we see Lois leaving for the grocery store again, all relaxed. Yes, as Hal attempts to apologize for something, and she does not care. Yes, she's very clearly not even listening to what he's saying. When she says she's going to the grocery store... Hal says, didn't you just go? And she says, yeah, that's great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and she leaves the front door open. Yes. 
then we see her once again talking to Octavia Spencer, asking where Mr. Lee went. As we sort of see as she's coming in, they're removing the, like, last remaining vestiges of his little kiosk. Yeah, it's like one of those, like, I I, I don't know if they're... This feels bad, because I really don't know if it's, like, Japanese or Chinese in origin or what. But, you know, the, the like, uh, screens that they use yeah. to separate, like, uh, delineate spacing and stuff like that. Uh, you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, though. yeah. Yeah. And they pull off that, and uh, what does the other guy grab? I think it's, like, the... It's not the massage chair, but it's, like, a plant or something. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a... Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's a plant. Yeah, it wasn't a bonsai tree, I know that, but... No. But, yeah, it was... It's very, sort of, stereotypical Asian decor... Yeah. ...type items. And, uh, yeah, they collapse down the screen and grab the plant, and then there's just these stacks of what looks like beans or rice, maybe? I couldn't really tell. I tried. <laughs> I did not try, so I couldn't tell you at all. <laughs> but she's asking where Mr. Lee went, and she's informed that he, he no longer works there, but but the cashier offers to tell Lois where he is working now, so she can go find him. <laughs> but Lois says, so he can just leave me again? No thanks. <laughs> and she storms uh, off. Yes. Poor Lois and her poor betrayed self. Yes. That wraps up Lois's individual plot line. Yeah, the L plot. Yes. So let's go to the B H. plot. H. Which centers around H. Dewey and Hal. Yes, the H plot. The D, B plot. <laughs> I almost got you to do it. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> H plot. This is not a stunt. It's an act of defiance. David. Yeah? If, if you had a flower, <laughs> i just reach over and snip it right now. <laughs> Uh, so the C-plot begins with Hal offering to watch Dewey for the next couple weeks uh, in sort of the schedule rearranging that we mentioned before. Uh, so he's going to be spending some time with Dewey. And we, <laughs> we see them building a bell tower out of Legos. Well, there's a fun interaction that unless you want to talk about it later, I like at the very like start of Hal offering to take care of Dewey. Oh yeah, yeah, go for it. Dewey's sitting there and Hal offers to spend some time with him and take care of him over the next couple weeks. And uh, Dewey asks him if they can run over stuff in the car again, like last time. And Hal shushes him and kind of reaches over and da 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 da. And Lois looks at him and gives him that, you know, very angry Lois, what is he talking about look. Hal just looks at her and goes, it was already dead. But uh, having built their bell tower... Uh, Hal and Dewey both talk about how they it never turns out like it does in the picture when they do these alone. <laughs> and, and Hal also, like, is holding the instructions and flips them over <laughs> as they're finishing and says, Hey, these are in English! <laughs> Making it clear he's used the Spanish instructions for this entire build. But uh, th then after, like, a little knowing look after they both talk about how, you know, th this is the first time they're thing has turned out the way it's supposed to it just cuts to hal dumping a giant box of legos on the ground and telling dewey you start on main street i'll start on university plaza we'll meet in the middle at noon <laughs> i think he says specifically we'll meet at the bistro at noon i think so yeah yeah um yes it's and they both have this amazing childlike gleeful look on their face yes and it's adorable then the next time we come back they have 
built a pretty significant town, uh, like, throughout the... Uh, I forgot to check if this is the living room or the den. I think it's the living room. I don't know how to tell the difference between the living room and the den, honestly. Yeah, I'd have to look at the uh, blueprint again. I think it's the lounge that they're in, based on where Lois comes, like, into the room and then goes out. They are building this in the lounge. They have turned the lounge into their Lego paradise. Yes. Yeah. Uh, which is where we start to see that... Uh, it actually starts with him saying uh, that... Uh, we should build a school. And Dewey says, why? Everyone's born smart. Yes. And that's the start of Dewey's uh, sort of role-playing this society that they're building. Yeah. <laughs> it's where they've, they've now evolved from building the town to building the people, Jake. Yes. <laughs> uh, then... We see how, with the town completed now, even with a working Ferris wheel, um, they've, like, strung up Christmas lights on the ceiling, uh, and Hal is declaring that they've done what society could never do. They've made a, a country that works. We? Dewey, Dewey just looks up at him and says that. It's so good. Then Reese comes into the room, looking very excited at, at everything they've built. <laughs> and now, like, calls him over and says, You want to destroy this, don't you, son? And Reese says, Yes, he really wants to destroy this. And Hal says he appreciates his restraint. <laughs> and he gives him, like, an old-timey radio and a hammer. <laughs> And, and he, sends him away. Yes, and Reese immediately runs out towards the backyard. <laughs> uh, then we see the scene we've technically already mentioned where Lois is going to the grocery store. Where Lois is like being very apologetic about the Lego town that they've built and promising that it's done now. Uh, and she just doesn't care. Then uh, we, we get our first look at Dewey's like final form <laughs> he has a bunch of lego men on the uh coffee table lined up and he's just pointing at them saying live live die and then throwing the dead ones away <laughs> yes uh, and hal walks over and asks what happens to the judiciary system they built with the council of the elders dewey says one of the best things ever <laughs> he lined them up and had them shot <laughs> And Hal looks horrified. <laughs> yeah, he does. It's hilarious. Uh, then when Hal tries to tell him that he's maybe been spending too much time in this Lego society, that, that that's where Dewey yells my secondary intro line. <laughs> he just yells, silence, seize him, and points. And Hal realizes that on, like, all of the buildings, Dewey has put little Lego men, and they are, are all, like, perfectly facing where he's standing. Yes, they're all staring at him. And Hal gets a nervous look on his face. Yes. Then, uh, Hal goes to take Dewey out of the den, or the lounge, rather. Yes. And he's, like, dragging him away. And that's when Lois comes home. Uh, now angry because Mr. Lee is gone. Uh, she starts yelling about the Legos. Then she steps on one uh, and sort of fumbles forward. And starts tearing through everything. Uh, accidentally stepping on some buildings. Knocking some over with her hands as she tries like not to fall. Getting tangled up in the lights. It is general chaos. Yeah, it's very like uh, Godzilla-esque. 
Uh, then uh, ends with her falling flat on her face, having destroyed the entire town. And Reese comes in and sees everything destroyed and says, Aw, man, you destroyed it without me? Hal just rolls his eyes. That wraps up the B plot. The H plot, yeah. B plot. H. B. H. We really need to teach you the alphabet. Hal starts with an H. That just leaves the A plot. Yeah. The least exciting plot. I disagree. Malcolm, okay, no, look. This Malcolm plot is actually pretty decent. But I prefer the other two plots more. Other two? Yeah. There's three other plots, David. I know. I said what I said. What do you... I like two of the other plots more. Okay, but that's not what you initially said. You said this was the least exciting one, which is what I took contention with. Because I agree there are two plot lines that are better than this one, than one that's worse. See, I don't think any of them are worse. I think this is a great episode. Oh, yeah. yeah. All, all these plot lines are good. Yeah. There's two that are just, like, way up here, and then, you know, Malcolm and the other one's just dangling down here. But it's not a bad thing. Like, all of them are good. Okay. So, the A plot starts with uh, a high school girl there who is trying to get volunteers, which Malcolm is explaining to camera that uh, people are always trying to get volunteers from the Crowboys because they assume that they're, I think he says losers with nothing but free time. No, it's uh, they're social rejects. Yeah. <laughs> who have nothing but free time. And it's, they're right, but he doesn't like them throwing it in his face. <laughs> and David? Yeah? Did you recognize this actress? Very much so. I assume that it's because she was in Buffy, but... No. Okay. Um, But this is another one of those where she's really familiar. I don't know where from. You should know. She's been in two different shows that I know you've seen. One fairly recently. So this is Busy Phillips... Uh, who at this point uh, oh. is famous for Freaks and Geeks. Okay. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah In which yeah. she played Kim. Yep. And much more recently, well, kind of more recently. <laughs> I was going to say. Uh, <laughs> she, she was in Cougar Town. Yep. Uh, where she played Jelly Bean. That. I like that you referred to her as Jelly Bean. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you referred to her as her derogatory nickname. Way to go. Yeah. So, like, I was watching this, and I was like, she's vaguely familiar, which 90% of the time, with TV around this time period, if I recognize someone and don't know their name, I just assume they're from Buffy. That's fair. Yeah. But, uh, okay. All right. That makes sense why, why she looks so familiar. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And she is looking for someone to play the changeling boy in uh, Midsummer's Night Dream, which, <laughs> when she explains who Shakespeare is to the class, Ooh. I assume, like, not not being, you know, familiar with what the Krellboins are. <laughs> yeah. Gotta be. <laughs> Immediately, Daphne and Lloyd start arguing over Shakespeare. Yeah. Daphne calling him a uh, cephalitic drunk. <laughs> Who was covering for, or, how did he put it? Uh, it was a cover for, I don't remember. Something Oxford, or, I don't know. Look, I know there's a lot of contention around really intelligent people about Shakespeare, but it's one of those things I've never, like... I've never looked at because I don't care. Shakespeare no. didn't <laughs> derive enough meaning for me, I guess. I don't know. Now, I've always been firmly in the fuck Shakespeare camp. <laughs> uh, which I will admit is less to do anything with him and, and more I fucking hate reading plays. Fair. Uh, it was awful having to be forced to read Shakespeare. That, but It's the worst way to experience <laughs> that particular medium. Why do they do that? That That is true. Yeah, it's, it's, like, I like Shakespeare's poetry a lot. It's sonnets. 
Right. But I fucking hated reading those plays. Well, plays weren't meant to be read. Exactly. Plays were meant to be watched. I've been telling that to English teachers my whole goddamn life, David, and they never <laughs> listen. Look, <laughs> God, I was such a crown boy. I just remember the time I got upset we had to read the Odyssey instead of the Iliad in high school. Because I'd already read both and I preferred the Iliad. That seems right. <laughs> also, really? Yeah, the Iliad's way better. Okay, see, mm, I think the Iliad is better to study and and but I think the Odyssey is a better story. Absolutely not. The Iliad is better. It's got it's got a fucking immortal dude. Uh-huh. It's got a fucking guy who fights with an anchor. Uh-huh. It's got a war. No. It's got people getting dragged behind a fucking chariot. It's awesome. I mean, yes, I'm not going to lie and say that I didn't like the Iliad, but no man took my eye. Yeah, yeah fuck you. A Cyclops who cares. The C-tier X-Man. Wow! Oh my, there's so much wrong with you right now. I want to smack you. No, look, the Odyssey is phenomenal, and it's, it's a good story. It's not as good as the Iliad. See, mm, yeah, here's my other issue, David. It's the same issue I have with a lot of science fiction, which oh is, no. I, I argue, is the same thing. I can't stand a story that takes place mostly on boats. I don't know what it is, but like the the open sea voyage thing. So boring to me. Well, that's because you're wrong, Jake. Sea voyage Listen, David, can David, be interesting. Let's let's table this until Open Forum Friday. <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way, is exactly what the teacher says when the Krellboins start arguing about Shakespeare. Yes. <laughs> Which I just realized we just proved how much of a Krellboin we are. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. God yeah. damn it. <laughs> I'd like to pretend that I have kept the image that I wasn't that type of kid, you know, under wraps until now, but... Car Caroline does tell the class that, uh, you know, it, it won't be all upside to doing this play. If you go, you might have to miss class. And Malcolm immediately volunteers. Yes, which is exactly what I have done. <laughs> the, yeah. Those are the magic words. Yeah, who wouldn't want to miss that class? But, uh, Lloyd, Dabney, Eraserhead... And Stevie are all immediately upset uh, with Lloyd saying, Malcolm, you can't, our secret project. <laughs> oh, I've said too much. <laughs> and they all kind of look to Malcolm, who assures them he can do both. <laughs> and they say, well, as long as your priorities are straight, and he, like, immediately says, I can go now. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Eliminating any pretense that Malcolm is going to prioritize them. Yeah, no. He's going with the high school girls. Yes. Then uh, we see Malcolm at the high school for the first time as he's walking in to, to their auditorium uh. with uh, a bunch of high schoolers. Uh, this is, uh, well, uh, that might be in a word later, so I'll, I'll, I'll save that. But uh, high schoolers being high schoolers. Uh, we, we see a couple that, like, we see a couple making out. Uh, we see some people with, like, piercings and dyed hair. Uh, Malcolm tries to talk to a kid who's reading Jack Kerouac. He says, oh, I've read that book. It was really good. And the kid just, like, turns his back on him. Yeah. It is such a stereotypical just portrayal of everything that is high school. Is it a, uh... Boomer-esque conception of what high schoolers in 2000 were like, perhaps, David? <laughs> uh, not for me. It almost was. Kay. But there's something else that's very specific. Yeah, that... I've, I've got a lot of hates for it. It was one of the wise considering. <laughs> yeah, me too. But God. Oh, he also overhears two girls, like, gossiping about another girl. Which <laughs> the things they say are, one, she's way more interesting now that she's bi-curious, which... 
Uh-huh. <laughs> and two, uh, her personality has completely changed since she went wheat-free. Yep. So when I was in high school, the, like, again, high school was a little early for me, but the I didn't really know a lot of people who were openly out as gay or bi-curious or anything like that, or even really talked about that stuff. Like, that became something that I encountered much more when I got older and was in college and things like that. Uh, but the wheat-free and vegan thing. Like, it wasn't actually, I guess, vegan at that point. It was just vegetarian. Yeah. Oh my god. The amount of, like, the... The preppy, like, attractive, and I know it, girls that went to school with my brother, some of which lived in our neighborhood that were all, oh my god, I wanted to just shoot myself. It was awful, because they 100% became that stereotypical person who, like, that's what their personality was. Like, I'm fine if you're a vegetarian, be a vegetarian and a person. Don't make being a vegetarian your entire personality. See, it's, that's interesting. This is, I definitely, like, knew that specifically, like, bisexual people before I ever knew, like, actually knew a vegetarian. That's so weird. <laughs> like, the opposite experience of, like, I was in college before I knew a vegetarian. Really? <laughs> but I knew, like, every gay and, and bi kid in, my, like, all of the different schools I went to. <laughs> I knew some, but they didn't, like, openly come out and say anything about it until much later. Like, years later, so... Uh, I, I knew one person in middle school who came out as bi. Huh. That's crazy. Yeah, down, down in Ohio, which must have been rough. Ooh. I, uh, yeah, it wasn't someone I knew, like, super well, but, yeah. yeah. Anywhere in the Midwest in that period of time. Oh, it's, well... And Ohio's yeah, real bad. Yeah, Ohio's weird, because it's weirdly Southern. I was gonna say, yeah, it's like Midwest with, like, Southern tinges. Yeah, well, <laughs> to perfectly illustrate the kind of place I was living in Ohio, I was living in the town of Lynchburg, <laughs> named after the town lynching tree, which they just took out, like, two years ago. Yeah. And it was very controversial in the town to take it out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's what I was dealing with, with my brief time living in Ohio. See, I, I always forget, were you in Ohio for middle school? Uh, for, like, mm, yes, for about a year. Okay, I was going to say, because I thought you were here with us for middle school. Uh, so, middle school, I lived in three different states over those two years. Okay. I, I lived here. Uh, actually, technically, no, I lived in four different states through middle school, because I was here. I briefly went to Washington with my parents. Oh, I remember that. Uh, which, to be fair, was more of a visit that was, like, supposed to be me moving there. Uh, but I was there for, like, two months. Right. Then my grandma got sick, who lived in Ohio, so we moved to Ohio for a little less than a year, and then we moved to South Dakota. Oh, that's right. That was the, the second time years. you guys went to Ohio, because yeah. you lived in Ohio when we were little, little. And yeah, I don't, I don't remember living in Ohio then. I do. I, I remember, remember coming and visiting you. And then that's right. Then you guys came back, and then, okay. Middle school is probably the hardest time of my life to remember, because middle school doesn't exist for me. Right. In traditional, like, like middle school so i have to like think of it in a span of years um because for those who don't know i was homeschooled fuck you so much <laughs> that just occurred to me that malcolm's you know uh the statement can be applied to you dave yeah it, it absolutely <laughs> you, can. You, you skipped grades i did yes and do you feel socially stunted david no i don't 
I hate. I don't you know. So I've heard that. I've heard that socially stunts you. Uh, <laughs> I was homeschooled, and I got really bored because all my friends were in regular school, and my mom is. Every way I say this sounds bad, so I'm gonna try to rephrase it. But she was super strict, but not like she wasn't harsh with us or anything. She just. My mom is all about results in that aspect. Like, she she refused to let us fail. And by that, I don't mean she coddled us. Like, <laughs> you, you got good grades, or you did the lesson again until you could understand it. And trust me, that resulted sometimes in me doing a math lesson four or five times and, like, re-going through the lesson and working the problems till I figured out how to do them. It was awful. But... We were always up. It didn't matter whether I had done all my schoolwork or not. You were up at 8 a.m. doing school. And uh, because of that, I got through middle school when all of my friends were still in their first year of middle school. Yeah. (laughs) And I just started... I continued that through high school. Yeah. Which led to me getting out of high school and being done with high school at 15. So... Uh... God, we're so much fucking Krell points. <laughs> Dizzy Phillips comes over and uh, explains to Malcolm that the guy he's trying to bond with isn't going to because he has angst. <laughs> I love that line. And she takes him over to, like, over by the stage, and the drama teacher is uh, looking for his lead, who's not there because he's out uh, for a wrestling match. Uh, so he has Malcolm come up and uh, initially just going to have him read for the day. Uh, as the lead. I love the way that Malcolm delivers this line. It, it, it kind of reminds you how good of an actor Frankie Muniz was, even as a kid. Yeah. Like, because he, he gets asked to read the lines, and, and there's a really little kind of jab at public schools there, because the, the director asks him if he can read, and he says, yeah? Oh, well, you're better than half the kids here. <laughs> and uh, But anyways, he, he starts to read from the Midsummer's Night Dream and, and, and read the line and very, very well. And he has the sort of vocal dramatic range that you'd expect of someone who had been doing drama for extended periods of time. Definitely not a beginner. Um, if, if you know what I mean, you know that there's a difference between reading a line and reading lines you have to have a sort of dynamic and dramatic range to your voice in order to have that sort of effect and frankie muniz does that so well and i get it i mean he's acting professionally here this is but it's just it's it's refreshing and and just sort of like feels like a fourth wall break that isn't one right i love it uh and and i love this scene yeah uh and and as he's doing this like everyone in the room is sort of Uh, staring at him in awe. Then it cuts to Malcolm uh, at the dinner table, having just uh, informed the family that he now has the lead role in the play. He's going to be playing Puck, which Reese, of course, makes the obvious joke of, you're going to play a fairy? Which Lois then obliviously says, no, he's playing the biggest fairy in the play. Yeah. Which, like, despite the, like, obvious homophobia that's at the core of that joke, like, Lois's obliviousness makes that joke still work for me. <laughs> yeah, because, like, it, it comes off as, as the way, like, you know the subtext that's being used there, but if you were to put it in, like, a real scenario, like a real family at the dinner table, it very much so is, like... Lois is trying to be genuine, and Reese is just taking it the wrong way. 
it just is very much so seems like Reese is taking those lines and yeah. making them that way, so I, I'm more okay with it there. Yeah. Yeah. But Lo- Lois congratulates him. Uh, Hal says, oh, that's great, son. It's not a musical, is it? <laughs> Malcolm says no, and he says, oh, yeah, that's great, son. <laughs> yeah. It's relatable. Yeah. Like, I took that line two ways. Which made it, I guess, a little problematic for me. Because on one hand, I hate musicals. So the the first time I heard that line, you know, I, I thought about it kind of the way that you probably did. Because yeah. I know your disdain for musicals. But it kind of plays into the whole, like, tone that the comments with Reese was saying. Because I, I remember being around people when I was that age who, like, musical theater and musicals and stuff were gonna turn all the great kids gay and uh yeah like don't get me wrong i never lost any opportunities for it because i never had an interest in dance or musical theater or any of that but i know so many people who did and now they're all gay <laughs> not all <laughs> but i, I the, look the part of that sentence that i take contention with is the now part all right Ah, fair. Okay. <laughs> fair enough. And I will say, I mean, Dr. Horrible's seen a long blog. It's kind of on Patrick Harris. Yeah. It worked on me. <laughs> but after uh, Hal's little acceptance of uh, Malcolm doing this play, this little congratulation, they, that's when they divide up the schedules, as we've mentioned before, uh, which is going to result in Lois's free time and Hal spending time with Dewey. Then we go back to the high school, where we, we come in with Malcolm delivering some more uh, lines. Then the drama teacher pulls him aside and says he's angry with him because he's made him care again. Yeah, what is it with that stereotype with drama teachers? Like, is that real? Are they really like that? The drama teacher at my high school was not, but... I know where this is going. Well, there's a couple directions. One, I knew a lot of people who were going to school when I was in college to be specifically drama teachers. And I can see a lot of them turning out this way. All right. And some of the local drama teachers I've heard are kind of this way. Huh. I I don't know, because I, I really... Like, I, I've been around a lot of teachers, but never the drama teachers somehow, for whatever reason. But uh, this trope and stereotype has always intrigued me. But I, I do love this line, and I, I like this. This is probably the first storyline that I've really liked of Malcolm's in Season 2, like, this much. Yeah, Season 2 hasn't been very kind to him so far. It has not. But this is this has been one of his better. Yeah. Uh, I I love the way that Malcolm reacts to the teacher too, because uh, he tells him that he's upset with him, and Malcolm gets this look like, oh no, what did I do? And then he tells him that you know you made me care again, and he starts glowing and beaming and gets back to all the hot gossip. Yes, uh, because uh, three of the teenage girls come over and start gossiping with him, uh, which in addition to uh, Z Phillips, we actually have another Freaks and Geeks uh, actress here, Natasha Melnicki, who played uh, Cindy, who was uh, like the main like crush of the main nerdy kid. Okay, I know who you're talking about now, but yeah. I did not even register that as her. Uh, to be fair, I, I didn't recognize her watching this. I, it wasn't until I was looking at the trailer, I was like, oh, that's who that is. 
Huh. I, I had the, the same thing that you had with Busy Phillips. Like, that girl looks kind of familiar, but I don't know why. I gotcha, yeah. And they don't give her much to do in this either. No. Anyway, they give Busy Phillips a little bit to do, but that, that other girl just doesn't really get anything. No, she's just basically there as background to the gossip. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which Malcolm is relishing in. Yeah. That That is where the disconnect, like, up and until that point, in this episode, I've I've been in similar situations to Malcolm as this and could really relate. The difference is, is in this situation for me when I was in that and in a play with a bunch of older girls that I had a crush on. I could not care less about any of the shit they would talk about at all. Whereas Malcolm is very much so into the gossip and very clearly getting caught up to speed on the inner workings of what's going on in the 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 popular you know drama circles of of this high school yeah well i mean listen i assume at this point malcolm has read machiavelli's the prince (laughs) and i assume he's doing this from like a political uh some sort of machination method uh, of ingrating himself with the high schoolers (laughs) you think malcolm's trying to take over the high school no, but I think he would sort of use that as the context to try to make friends with these girls. I guess. <laughs> no, maybe he's a little more socially aware than that. Maybe that's more of a Dabney move, but... <laughs> yeah, I don't know that Malcolm is quite as Krellboyne as you. Like, you might be the only one reading Machiavelli for fun. Well, you know, you and Hitler. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. Fair. But uh, as the gossiping ends, Malcolm giggles with the girls and then says, oh my god, did I just giggle? And then it cuts over to Stevie sitting in front of the stage who asks, did you just giggle? Yes, I love this line. Stevie is amazing. He's one of the best characters in this show. Absolutely. And he keeps winning me over. I can see why he's your favorite. Uh, Stevie is upset with Malcolm because he missed their secret meeting for their secret project. That's right. They talk about it a lot for it being a secret. Yes. <laughs> They're not very good at keeping secrets. No. Yeah, don't don't trust the Krellboins with their your secrets. Yeah. Uh, which we did actually skip over. Caroline does mention that they've done secret experiments before. <laughs> she says, uh, all of our students haven't grown their eyebrows back yet from the last secret experiment. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> but Malcolm blows Stevie off and says he'll still be able to do everything. Uh, and he goes to sit with the kid who's reading on the road, who like lowers one of the theater seats for him, uh, effectively blowing Stevie off. And... Uh, as he's walking over, that's where we get the line of him wanting to skip straight to high school, even though he's heard that it socially stunts you. I mean, didn't bother me any. That's that's just the stunting talking, David. I hate you. <laughs> then uh, we see Malcolm at his school, where he is being confronted by the Krellboins once again for, uh, you know, not doing what he was supposed to for their project. Uh, but he uh, assures them that he did the figures he was supposed to last night. He just has to go get them out of his desk. And then he runs back into the classroom, and you see him just very hurriedly doing math uh, at at his desk, very clearly doing it literally last second. Yeah. Then he brings it out and gives it to them, uh, and then he uh, reassures them that, you know, they are still friends, and Dabney says, it was the other kids who doubted you. (laughs) And then Malcolm gets picked up by the high school girls who are going to give him a ride to play practice. Did you just call it play practice? Yeah. Okay. Is that not what it's called? No. 
What is it called? It's rehearsal. Mm, nah, I've, I've heard it referred to as play practice by people in plays. I've never heard that. I feel like rehearsal would be more for, like, dancing and, like, musical stuff is more what I hear referred to as rehearsal. I've pretty much always heard, like, people in plays refer to it as play practice. I feel like it's one of those things. I, I feel like anytime I've heard a drama teacher refer to it, they call it rehearsal. And anytime I've heard a student refer to it, they've always called it play practice. That's possible. <laughs> That's possible. I don't know what the right term is there. I just feel like I've never heard practice and play go together. Okay. Huh. I don't know. That just, I don't know why. That that just triggered that little switch in my brain that said, Jake's wrong here. Jake's never wrong, David. Just get rid of that switch. You don't need it. Oh, I need it. But as Malcolm is riding off, the Krellboins go to their, like, command station in the bushes where they finally reveal what their secret project is. Uh, it's a homemade rocket. It's way more advanced than the homemade rockets that me and my brother had, but, uh... Yeah, yeah, like, it's not a model rocket. No, it's a rocket. Yeah. With, like, a cam in the warhead and... Yeah. It's... Some kind of guidance system, which was what the math Malcolm was supposed to do. Uh, he, he was figuring out the trajectory for the rocket. I guess, yeah. It... This is a complicated project. Yes. <laughs> this is... They've got, like, some laser... Well, not even laser, but, like, satellite guidance system set up. Yeah. It is amazingly hilarious. And See, and this is the real difference between me and the Krellboys. That they're all about the hard sciences. I was in the humanities. Yeah, the soft sciences. The humanities. <laughs> yeah, the soft sciences. That's okay, Jake, so was I. The other difference, I feel like, is the other Krellboins, minus Malcolm, are not, you know, from poor white families. So they just yeah. have all this high-tech stuff laying around. True. As has been established multiple times in previous episodes. True. I also assume a lot of this is school stuff, like, f specifically for, like, the advanced class. Some of it is, but remember their last big project that they did uh with the battle, the battle bots, bots? Yeah. yeah they just had this stuff laying around oh yeah Jake. fair fair but the uh rocket launches of course counted down by stevie five four <laughs> i love stevie so uh, much stevie only makes it to three before lloyd loses patience and presses the button that's why it went wrong Yes, clearly that's what went wrong. Look, if I've learned anything from watching NASA movies, Jake, you have to finish the countdown and flip all the switches. Otherwise, the rocket won't work. That's fair enough. Uh, but the rocket does launch successfully. Uh, and the crowd boys are initially, like, cheering and very happy. Then Dabney gets a slightly concerned look on his face and <laughs> says, The trajectory seems strange. <laughs> <laughs> then the rocket, uh, we, we actually get, like, a point of view from the rocket shot. Uh, as it, like, passes over the car that Malcolm is in. <laughs> uh, initially looking like it's going to crash into their car. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it, it goes over the car. Uh, and Malcolm watches it pass by and then says to camera, there's a million reasons this could have gone wrong. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's right. Don't blame him. <laughs> right. But uh, then it flies towards the Krellboins, looking like it's going to hit them. And they sort of, like, have to jump out of the way. Then it comes out of the bushes and heads towards Caroline, who is talking to the janitor, <laughs> saying... 
Listen, I work a lot too, but I still make it to Lamaze classes. Confirming, as we've suspected, based on the one throwaway line before, that in fact the school janitor is the father of her child. And Stevie was right. Yep. He does work there. Yep. And, uh, it cuts there with the implication being that the rocket is slamming into the janitor's, like, cart. Yeah, and you get, like, the staticky feed from the camera. Yeah. Then we go from there back to Malcolm at the high school, uh, where he is not not even gossiping at this point. They're, like, openly slut-shaming some other girl who goes to this high school. Yep. Uh, their, their, their gossip has gotten much more disturbing by this point. Yeah, it, it like, sl- was slowly descending before anyways, but it's just full-on now. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is, like, full-on Mean Girls gossip at this point. 100%. Which I loved. <laughs> you would. You would. <laughs> for, for those who don't know, Mean Girls is one of my favorite movies. I don't understand. So good! It's a movie. That's so good. I don't understand you at all. You have such good taste in so much movies and so listen, much TV. Listen, listen, I love a lot of trash. Mean Girls is not bad. Mean Girls is legitimately like a revered, beloved movie. No, it's trash. No. Written by Tina Fey. So? It's very good. It's very funny. Look, just because Tina Fey is involved does not mean it's good. That's true. I mean, Saturday but, Night Live. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I know, you're a way bigger SNL fan than I am. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Although, I will say that not all of Tina's Faye's years were great. That's fair, but I don't think that's because of Tina Fey. It's like, not. She, she was in a, a pretty bad era for SNL, and her weekend updates were like the, the best part. That's true. Especially when it was the Amy, Amy Poehler Tina Fey era. Oh, so yeah. Good. That was pretty good. Yeah. yeah, fair. Look, all I'm saying is... I don't understand why you like that so much. I don't understand why you like this comic. Like, this is the part where I'm just cringing through the whole... Like, I... These... The conversations with Malcolm and these girls are the part of this episode that I would get rid of so that it would be less cringeworthy and potentially one of the best episodes of this show. But it's drugged down Uh, by these freaking teenage girls. Listen, the, the... The, their, their comments about the other girl, I had a little bit of issue with the, the, the comment after that. I can't go into detail yet because I'm considering it for an award. Okay, that makes sense. That <laughs> one's not terrible, but yeah, their well, comments... It's terrible. Well, <laughs> That's yeah, why it's so great. <laughs> it's not the same level of... Yeah. Yeah. It's not socially terrible. It's yeah. just bad. Yeah, and then we get, like, a, a nice little bit where, like, he's gossiping with two girls, and then, like, another girl who's, like, a stagehand pulls him up, like, to the rafters, because were... he's in, like, the harness uh, for, for, you know, his role as the fairy, and she, like, pulls him up, and she's like, are they talking about me? And then they have, like, their own separate gossip before she lowers <laughs> it back down. No, we're talking about Josh, or whoever, I don't <laughs> yeah, remember. it's Josh. Is it? Yeah. Okay. God. Then Matt Malcolm, like, as he's being lowered back down, looks to camera and uh, talks about how much fun he's having. He's starting to feel a little bad for blowing the Krellboins off to, you know, be here and have all this fun. But uh, he's sure that they're having a good time, too. And hard cuts to the Krellboins uh, in the, like, lunchroom dish pit doing dishes with presumably the principal I don't standing know. behind them. I don't know, we've never them. been introduced to him. Right, but the principal is sort of scolding them and saying it's fortunate that no one got hurt and they didn't have the police called on them. At that point, uh, I think it's Lloyd who says uh, there, there's 
no way to prove that our rocket exploding caused Caroline to have her kid. I mean, he's right. Correlation is not causation. Exactly. Yeah. He's right. I know. They shouldn't be punished. I agree. You can't prove it. I mean, clearly, she's fine, and so is the baby. Uh, yes, which the Krell boys don't ask <laughs> if they're okay, which the principal is quick to point out. But as he starts to leave, they do ask, <laughs> and what about our rocket? Then <laughs> when he just sort of scoffs and walks away, Dabney, like, starts to break down and says, then it's true. <laughs> <laughs> then it cuts back to Malcolm, once again at the high school, walking, it looks like, to play practice. Uh, once again, gossiping with two of the girls as they walk. They... Invite him to a pool party, even, which he can't go to because it's the same day as something. Oh, right, the play. <laughs> we see the actual play itself next. With We, we start in the audience uh, looking at the family uh, with Hal, like, trying to give Lois a little bit of, like, a one-handed neck massage. But she slaps away and says he's just making it worse. Then Hal, like, turns to Dewey and asks him if he's okay because their town was destroyed. Dewey doesn't answer, but Hal realizes he has one of the Lego men in his shirt pocket, which <laughs> Hal looks very uncomfortable with. The Lego men are creepy. Yes. Then it pans over to the Krellboins in the front row who are uh, comparing how much they all want to be there uh, with Dabney... Uh, willing to forgive Malcolm. Uh, Stevie wants to take the high road. Uh, with Lloyd being like the main one who's asking, why are we even here? Uh, Malcolm abandoned us and it's his fault our rocket uh, went wrong and exploded. Which Stevie has brought the exploded rocket with him and is like holding it in his lap for the play. <laughs> then we see Malcolm for the first time. He's up in the rafters. Uh, he's once again still in like mid-gossip. With the girl from before, uh, who's the stagehand. And uh, he, like, barely notices as his cue comes up. He has to, like, say, wait, was that my cue? Uh, uh, lower me down. Then he comes out and he does the, like, dramatic arm spread gesture as he's dangling there. And nothing. <laughs> yeah, they, they do an interesting thing where they do, like, a close-up of his face with, like, his thoughts running through his head. Uh, and it's... Uh, initially, just, like, all the girls, like, talking about him when he first, like, was doing so well in the play about how impressive he was and stuff, instead of the lines. Then it, like, cuts back, so it so sort of looks at the audience again, then cuts back to him again, and it's just a bunch of the gossip that he's been, uh, peddling. Then Malcolm turns to camera and says, I bet this is one of those moments where it feels like an eternity is passing, but in reality, it's only been a few seconds. Then it cuts to Hal leaning over to Lois, asking, why hasn't Malcolm said anything in five minutes? <laughs> yeah, it's, I love it. It's great. <laughs> it's a great way to show everything uh, in a hurried manner. I, I love it. Plus, Hal's so great. Yes. Poor Malcolm. Then Malcolm calls out for a line, uh, which Lloyd, after, like, admitting that usually he would enjoy this shot, this shot in Freud, uh, th this is just so sad. He has to help him, so he gives Malcolm his line. Then that repeats again with Malcolm again needing another line for, from Lloyd. Uh, then the crowd starts turning against Malcolm. They start, like, actively booing him. Then it uh, cuts to Lloyd standing in front of the stage, with the spotlight on him as he, like, from memory, just delivers the entire monologue. Well, I mean, he is a follower of the Great Bard. Yes. And how many PhDs wrote King Lear? 
Uh, the crowd cheers as he finishes. Uh, then we get a little interstitial as Reese looks over to Hal and says, Wait, this is this is the end of the play? You promised me partial nudity. <laughs> Tal says, Oh, yeah, I lied. And the ice cream afterwards? Also a lie. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, then the crowd is clapping... Uh, for Lloyd, and then, like, everyone else, and then Lloyd, like, gestures towards Malcolm, and the spotlight stops on him, and the crowd just goes completely silent. Uh, then it cuts over, Dewey has, like, his hands lifted, about to clap, and Hal just, like, reaches over and grabs his arm to stop him. Yes. Don't applaud that, son. <laughs> well, I feel like he may not want people to, you know, associate, associate. them <laughs> yeah. with Malcolm. Yeah. Then we get one final little scene. It's just everyone else has left with Malcolm still just dangling there. Uh, initially, he's like struggling, trying to get free. Then he sort of gives up and goes limp. And then, uh... He starts remembering his lines, finally. He, he delivers a line, then he turns to Cameron and says, See, I knew it. And then the episode ends with him alone in the dark, hanging there, just uh, going through the monologue alone. Sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, but that wraps up our summary. That just leaves our awards. Awards. Well, since we've discussed it a little bit already, David, which plot line did you have as the A plot of your heart? Uh, the H plot. That's crazy talk, because there is no H plot. Uh, I did, however, choose the B plot centered around Hal and Dewey as my A plot of the heart as well. I think you mean the H plot. No. Centered around Hal and Dewey. Uh, centered around Dewey and Hal. Uh-huh. In that order. I see. Dewey is the star of this, clearly. No, Dewey is the villain of this. That's the whole point. You can be the villain and the star. I see. Taking American politics really seriously, aren't you? Oh, wait. Uh, <laughs> look, I love that plot. I love Hal. I love Dewey. I love the interaction, including the part where Dewey goes dark. But <laughs> even at the start, just that childlike wonder that Hal gets, and this time it's mirrored by Dewey. Yeah. And the, the instantaneous... <laughs> interaction and and he's laughing just that them working together to build this lego them working together to build this lego uh town is amazing <laughs> really he thinks it's funny i think we can record with a baby laugh track i don't think that's too disruptive okay i, I agree i especially dewey's like dictator cannibal utopia society stuff <laughs> so is so great it's so funny it's hilarious and i love well we'll talk about it more in a minute uh, i love some of the scenes that come out of that plot line yeah I, it was a tough choice though, because like we've discussed that all of these plot lines are really good they are, and this is probably the first episode in a while where you don't have, like, a clear winner. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. And along those lines, I think it potentially related for you, and definitely for me, who did you have for favorite character? Uh, Dewey slash Hal. I just had Dewey because you only get one pick for favorite I know. character. Look, it's Dewey, but it's also, a lot of that is because of Hal. But yeah, it's yeah. Dewey. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. What did you have, David, for your Roller Skating Keen Award? Your award for the best visual moment. Lois destroying the world is how I put it in my uh, notes. The scene of Lois stepping on the Legos and then tripping, and very clearly the homage to Godzilla and uh, just her style of 
destruction, even though it's accidental and like flailing as she falls, the way the shots are taken and everything, it's it's very clearly pointing towards like your Godzilla and kaiju themed movies and and destruction and i i love it i love the way it looks the legos falling first of all you can tell they actually built those towers and and made these giant lego towers which is awesome right and i want that job and then she's knocking them over and you see all the pieces going everywhere it is i just i love it i love this scene i love the way it's shot and i love the way it looks and i know that that had to have taken a ton of work Yep, uh, that was my first choice as well, but I will give it to my backup, which is just the very casual, like, not even looking, uh, snipping of Francis's plant by Spangler as he's giving his speech. Uh, just how, like, casually he does this thing that's horrific. It was great. It was phenomenal. Uh, and what did you have for your hot dog with mustard on it award? Your award for the best line. After deleting five lines from this episode, I still have I still have three written under uh, here. Do, do you want me to do mine first to see if it eliminates a choice? A hundred percent. I don't think it will, David. Go ahead. Uh, because mine. Oh God. <laughs> comes from one of the scenes of Malcolm gossiping. Specifically, Busy Phillips has a. It's, it's a line that I feel like her delivery is just the sort of line she's very good at. Uh, she get a lot of in Cougar Town. Oh no! Uh, I think I know what one it is. <laughs> it's when they're talking about Josh, and she's talking about something he did uh, with his stepsister. The other girl asked her to clarify. His half-sister or his stepsister? Uh, and she says, no, his stepsister. That's why he can have a crush on her. Uh, and then they all go, ew. Yeah, oh, God, yeah. I completely forgot about that. <laughs> the minute you mentioned Cougar Town, I went, oh, I know what this it is. It is such a Cougar Town line. It is. <laughs> God, okay, yeah. Well, one of my lines is very much so in line with that. It doesn't come from them, but it's... That type of line. Okay. But I think I'm going to give it to my one of the two that I struggled between, but I'm going to give it to this one. Uh, when Spangler is uh, in the common area and sort of dressing down the recruits and going through everything, he says, I blame myself, referring to the, uh, the lack of discipline in the boys and the school and everything. Uh, and he says, I blame myself. But it will be you who suffer. <laughs> Which is just such a great line. Such a Spangler moment. It is. <laughs> and I, I love it. It's such a good line. Well, what did you have for your OK Boomer Award? Your award that sets the episode firmly within its time of release. We should probably talk about yours first. Mine's going to be a bit long-winded. Well, I had quite a few possibilities for it. There were a lot in this episode. Uh, but I will go with one that is hyper-specific. Uh, the reason we have two cast members from Freaks and Geeks at this in this episode is because the show had just finished uh, and the actors were, you know, available and, and looking for work, as that show never got a second season, unfortunately. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, which is why they were available, uh, and... Yeah, they were brought on because the creators of this show liked that show. It was a good show. Yeah. It spawned a lot of now modern, like, nerd things and TV genres and all kinds of fun stuff. Or not uh, genres, but TV shows. Not, and... not even TV that much. Mostly movies. If you look at who all came out of that show. I guess, yeah. Some of them are TV still, but 
but a lot of the a lot of the like main cast are all TV stars. Yeah, I guess you're right. That's crazy. Uh, and like all of the like writers and creators are making movies, movies. now. Yep. <laughs> like the only people in Hollywood who are allowed to make comedy movies still. So for mine, I chose again specifically uh, a Spangler moment. But when he refers to Garth Vader and tears down. <laughs> A poster, which is, by the way, very specifically, a Garth Brooks poster from his album The Chase, which uh, I never listened to Garth Brooks, willingly. I was gonna say. Uh, (laughs) This scene is so much in this time for me for so many reasons. I don't actually know when The Chase came out. I don't know if that was around this time or if that had been out for a couple of years. I'd have to Google that. I'd assume it had been out for a couple of years. I know, like, Garth Brooks, like, explosion is, like, the biggest thing in music happened in the late 90s. Yes, I know that. But I think this album actually came out a few years before when this was, uh, film but i do know that it was the chase because either right around this time it was his most recent album or it was his biggest album and it was all over the place and i was forced to listen to it by our grandmother by some of my friends and this image was everywhere yeah because this uh sorry i just looked it up this uh album came out in 1992 but this this picture that is the black and white checkered garth brooks poster to me is the like stereotypical garth brooks look when i think of garth brooks i get a mental image of that poster oh yeah for sure and it is because of around 2000 so much of his See, and I thought the chase was even closer to this than that. But what I do know is, oh my god, I saw that disc, I saw that poster, I saw way too much of that way too often. And it is like one of those things that haunts my childhood because I didn't like Garth Brooks. Yep. But he was everywhere. It's disturbing to know his most popular album came out the year I was born. It feels like a personal attack against me by him. Uh, it is. You should take it as such. But yeah, so that's why that one was the OK Boomer Award for me. Fair enough. Well, that just leaves our shittiest and least shitty kid awards. Yay! Uh, let's start with our least shittiest. Okay. Who did you have for least shittiest kid, David? I had Francis. That's close to what I had. I had the hero known as Francis. No, <laughs> it's Francis. Because he stood up to fascism... And abuse for his fellow cadets. It's like the time he ate a hundred peeps. He's a hero. Yeah, hundred peeps. How was that, Jake? I'll let you know in the future past. That's right. <laughs> uh, would you say we'll have a whole day of it? Uh, yeah, but the comic version, not the movie version. Oh, yeah, the movie version was horrible. But anyways, <laughs> dumb jokes aside, yeah, I chose Francis because... Uh, he actually didn't do anything really shitty. Like, his his act of defiance in this was a flower and, like, treating it properly and, and giving it water and preening it and, and clipping away dead leaves and everything. Like, okay, way to go, Francis. Yes. But not only does he not do anything actively shitty this episode, he is, like, actively a force for good. Yeah. Which is very rare for any of these characters. It's super rare. And I, yeah, no, I'm, I'm all for it. I, I really like, like, the shittiest thing he does is, at the end, his little comment of wanting pictures of his, 
uh, fellow cadet sister. Yeah. And on the reverse side, who did you have as your shittiest kid? This one's going to shock you, Dewey. David, we, we are lining up two weeks in a row. Yeah. I, I, I chose Dictator Dewey as my <laughs> shittiest kid. <laughs> yeah. Look, Dewey's normally a little angel, but... The power of creating a society and ruling over an entire civilization went to his head. Understandably, it happens. It happens to the best of us. <laughs> and he went dark. Real um, fast. Well, I mean, look at his role models, Jake. It's not like he was raised in a household that would have prepared him to, you know, have any sort of power. Fair. <laughs> Yes, uh, Dewey's, Dewey's cannibal utopia, where he suggests that the dumb people are ground up for food. While efficient, not good. Yeah. <laughs> and then he he had the, the, the Council of Elders shot. Yeah, he, he states the coup. He was like, look, we have this ruling system. Nah, I'm done. <laughs> and then he randomly executed members of his society on a whim. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, he didn't even give a reason for that one. He was just nope. live, 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 dead. To one, he tried to remove Hal's contributions to building the, the civilization in the first place. And two, he tried to see sick his army on Hal. And seize power for himself. Yes. Yeah. No, it was... It was such a good I love this plot line. Oh yeah, it's definitely the best part. It's also why but it's also the shittiest thing. Yeah, no, it, from the episode. It even like Malcolm was getting close with his gossipy stuff, but then Dewey went full dictator. Yeah, well, and Malcolm also gets some pretty serious comeuppance. He does, yeah. But yeah, no. It is unfortunately unquestionably it's Dewey. Well, that just leaves our last segment. Uh, oh, God. David's guessing the game. I forgot about this. Uh, <laughs> start with, uh, look, looking back on your prediction from last episode, you, you were correct that uh, Malcolm would end up in a high school play. Or you were incorrect that you, you thought he was going to be whiny and complaining about it the whole time. Very much the opposite. I'm sorry, it's Malcolm. I assumed he was whining. Shoot me. Uh, and the only other thing that I wrote down from your prediction last time is that you assumed Reese would do something shitty, and he really doesn't. He doesn't. Uh, no, he... I, again, specifically assumed that because I figured Reese would be involved with the, the hot female, uh, you know girls who pulled Malcolm's attention. Yes. I was right about that part. But yeah, I I assumed Reese would see that and be like, no, f you don't get their attention. That's mine. But no, Reese didn't see that, so therefore he didn't have the opportunity to be shitty. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to give you a 60% on that prediction. Okay. All right. I think that's a fair grade. But for next episode, we are going to be covering the episode simply titled Bully. What do you, David, think the episode of Bully is about? Reese. That's it. Okay. I'm going to assume that a new bully, like, comes into his territory, and he has to out-bully the bully. Okay. Because he's Reese. Interesting. We'll have to sit, wait till next week and see. Uh, but that wraps this episode up. Uh, thanks for joining us. If you want to get in touch with us with any questions or comments or observations, uh, you can reach us on Twitter, where we are unfair underscore podcast, or by email, where we are lifeisunfairpod at gmail. Uh, you can also check out on Twitter, we do a weekly poll for shittiest and least shitty kids, so you guys can also vote in those awards. 
And if you like the banter back and forth and want to come talk to us live and have a conversation with us and you enjoy video games or anything like that, head on over to twitch.tv slash lpdeathray where we stream live every Sunday, Monday, and Wednesday night. That's also where you can find out who Kyle is, also known as the guy who's frequently in our secret sounds in the background. <laughs> I was about- <laughs> the, the last episode I edited, it would be two episodes now, the secret sound was just Kyle in his room yelling, We won! We won! <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yes, our, our roommate Kyle is our, our third member and, and the three of us stream on Twitch at twitch.tv slash lpdeathray. It's a lot of fun and it's just sort of this banter back and forth while we play video games and try to do other fun nerdy stuff. Yep, uh, so find us there and thanks for listening and as always, remember, life is unfair. And from there I say we go, excuse me, <laughs> from there I say we go to the L plot. Jesus. <laughs> you you get some coffee breath there, David. Sure did. Oh. <laughs> 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 Trying to kill me over there. <laughs> Fuck. Okay, you were saying? Now hold on, I need to drink some more coffee. I hate you so much.